Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. Mike Lewis, Doug Battle, brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. This week, Doug, we're going to actually do some hardcore marketing because we're going to talk about Super Bowl advertising in preparation for you know the, the big game coming up on Sunday. In the past, I've referred to this. This is almost like a marketing holiday. You know, th- th- this is the final spectacle the final unified spectacle where the entire culture, you know, music, entertainment, sports, advertising, it all comes together. But before that, there's a bunch of other stuff happening in the world. So how are you doing today, Doug? I'm doing well, Mike. Yeah, it's getting hard to keep track of everything going on. This weekend, we had the Grammys. We had a balloon fly across the country and make national news for the first time since Balloon Boy when I was a kid. I don't know if you remember that one. Uh, Duke UNC happened, Kyrie Irving being traded to the Mavericks, uh, has a lot of people scratching their heads, I think, and the NFL's new Pro Bowl format debuted this weekend, and so really, like any of those things, I think in the summer we would do a full episode on, but it's Super Bowl week, and it's like everything happens at once, it's award season in the entertainment industry, uh, obviously football is in full swing, and, and basketball is getting there, so well, Doug, I don't speed ahead. I don't want to do this to you, and we'll come back to this, but I've also heard that there's some leaks out of Disney about what the next Star Wars movie is going to look like. And so that's- Wait, a, are you- I'm, I'm, I'll talk, We'll get back to that, but why don't we start with Kyrie Irving? Because you said to me that you hated the trade, and yeah. at least on one level, I love this trade. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> of course. I mean- You hate the trade. I hate it because- I li- I'm a I'm a Luka Doncic guy. I like Luka Doncic. I want to see him win 100 championships. And I've for years it's been like he doesn't have talent around him. He doesn't have the right pieces around him. Dallas doesn't have enough cap space, whatever. And they've kind of been building and positioning themselves to to add a major player around Luka Doncic. And for it to be a guy who seems to bring misery to every franchise he goes to. Seems to spend more time researching the JFK assassination or whatever the conspiracy theory of the week is than actually playing basketball and who plays the same position as Luka Doncic into the same team, another ball ball dominant guard. That's just not what I would ideally pair. I've wanted to see him with Jokic. I've wanted to see like he's a facilitator. And so is Kyrie Irving. It's the same type of role that they play. And so I'm not saying they're not going to be entertaining. I think it'll be very entertaining. It'll be interesting if and when Kyrie is actually on the basketball court. But as far as wanting the Dallas Mavericks to win championships with Luka Doncic, for me personally, it's hard to imagine a Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic-led team winning the whole thing. I think they'll be very competitive, but I don't know that ultimately this positions them for the kind of run I was hoping for. So we'll see how it plays out. I'll still be rooting for them, uh, you know, just because I'm a Luka guy. But I I don't know that in the long term, this is the best move they could have made. Okay, that's all very fair and well-reasoned. I mean, (laughs) I'm almost... I'm almost speechless, right? Because obviously I was looking at it from a totally different perspective. Um, Yeah. You know, because I, I agree with you. I, you know, here in Atlanta, I think there's always a lot of talk about, you know, Luca and Trey, you know, sort of going through in, in parallel. Yeah. I, I don't think there's much doubt in terms of 
Luca sort of being the dominant player out of that pair. I mean, I, you yeah. know, it, it, Fox it, fans hate that, but yeah. I think the rest of the world has accepted that for sure. Right. And, and I get it. here locally they they, they hate that. They like the idea that it's kind of this, these peers and this rivalry, but you know, I think Luka Doncic definitely has the role, the potential to be one of these guys to be the next face of the NBA. Exactly. Um, yeah. so I look at this trade and I've been an outspoken, an outspoken, uh, Kyrie enthusiast. <laughs> and, and so I see the narratives here. It suddenly, yeah, this is this is great theater. Um, you got this well-reasoned thing. It's like maybe this is the wrong thing to do for that franchise. I, I don't even think, you know, they still have to re-sign Kyrie after this. So this is a rent-a-play yeah. as well, right? Yeah, and it could be. I remember when uh, DeMarcus Cousins was signed by the New Orleans Pelicans. They paired him with Anthony Davis, and half of the NBA community thought. Wow, who's going to stop them in the paint when they have the two best bigs in the league just dominating, getting every rebound and scoring at will? And the other half of the league thought, why would you pair Anthony Davis with another big who needs to have the ball in his hands when they probably should be acquiring a guard? And that that relationship did not last very long in New Orleans. It was short-lived, partially due to injury for Cousins and Anthony Davis, partially due to the fact that they didn't reach their goals. And so maybe this is a trial run where it's like well the maps weren't going to win the whole thing this year anyway might as well just see maybe there's a 25 percent chance that there's Kyrie just works in dallas um and they win the whole thing or something and and if not they can move on and and have the same cap situation going into next year so maybe that's what mark cuban and company are thinking i all, all i'll say is this i'm such a luca guy i follow his career you're such a Kyrie guy you love the controversy that he causes and how interesting of a persona. Infinite thinker. That is Mike's term for Kyrie and people like that. And so I feel like you and I will probably be discussing the Mavericks quite a bit more moving forward simply because and Doug, it's at least interesting. That's all I look for. And then you throw, I mean, you, you threw the, the third name into this mix of suddenly Mark Cuban. Kyrie is now Mark Cuban's problem. Yeah. And that's that's a media spectacular. I mean that Cuban Cuban has just and I you know I don't know what his thinking is, but he is now he has just made Dallas the most interesting storyline in the NBA probably through the end of the through the end of the Mavs season whenever that occurs. Yeah, and on the flip side of this whole story is the Brooklyn Nets, a franchise that mm. I went out on a limb. I don't know if it was, I think two years ago on this podcast. I came out and said, I looked at the situation with, with their roster and where they stood, and I was like, the Nets are about to be the flashy team in the NBA. And Brooklyn, they're finally going to take that next step and be and even be the dominant team in New York. They're going to be the team that's on primetime every week. They're going to be the team winning championships with MVPs. To go from Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, all in their prime, to now... Durant, but they might trade him. Ben Simmons, but yeah. is he doing anything? Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Nick Claxton at center, who's a really good player. But it's certainly the enthusiasm has kind of been suffocated from that Nets franchise. And that's where it feels like it feels like the Kyrie effect. I'm not saying that's all it is, but it seems like when Kyrie was in Boston, people were thinking this could be a dynasty look they got Tatum they got Jalen Brown they got Kyrie Irving they, they have 
cap space. They have draft picks. And it was the same thing in Brooklyn. And so Brooklyn is kind of a the classic story of like the Clippers and that like that second team mm-hmm. that even when they have all the pieces to supplant the top team in the city, it's like it's just the nature of sports that they will never be that dominant alpha team in New York. And that's my takeaway in Brooklyn, looking at that situation. I don't know what they do with Durant or how they move forward with their roster. So that's something I'll be keeping an eye on as well. Well, you know, it almost makes me think that, you know, that they're, they are probably the best example of one of these failed, self-constructed by the players, super teams. Yeah. Right. And I mean, maybe you could argue that Kawhi Leonard and um, Paul George are another one, but yeah, it's the Brooklyn Nets probably deserve a an eventual what's what's that ESPN series that thirty for thirty yeah type of programming yeah. and telling the yeah. backstory on on what happened there because well, it's almost it's almost impressive to not win a championship with the amount of talent they've had and this isn't their first time building a pseudo super team and it failing dramatically. Uh, I don't know if you remember. Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Darren Williams, right. Brooke Lopez, uh, I, that team, uh, Jason Terry, Jason Kidd is the coach. Like they, Joe Johnson, that team, they took every like veteran, former top 10 player in the league, put them all on one team, made it to the second round of the playoffs one year, and gave up all their cap space for the next and all of their draft picks for the next 10 years to be able to do that. And the furthest they made it was the second round. It was a quick exit in the NBA playoffs. And now it's like the Durant teams, I thought they would at least make an NBA finals. To not even make a finals with Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden as your core and players like Nicholas Claxton, players like Joe Harris. Like they've had good role players too. So it's not one of those teams that just had three good players and the rest of the team was a G League team. They have just underperformed dramatically. And, you know, going back last year, I remember you were really critical of, I don't know if it was Kyrie or Durant who said they don't need a coach, uh, but this is a classic case of the importance of coaching in the NBA and chemistry in the NBA that we see uh, no matter who you have on your team, those well-coached and those teams that play together tend to be the teams that have sustained success. We saw that with the Spurs. We've seen it with the Warriors of late. And on the flip side, of course, teams like the Brooklyn Nets. And so, again, Brooklyn, uh, another failed experience for that franchise. I don't know how they rebound from this. I don't know how you rebuild the momentum that they once had. Um, It's got to be tough for the four Brooklyn Nets fans out there. Yeah, ouch. And, you know, (laughs) as you said, the reality is, in that time period where where Brooklyn has assembled two of these super teams, for lack of a better term, the Knicks have had one decent playoff run in that entire time period with, you know, mm-hmm. and the Knicks are still New York's team, right? Ab- w- without question. hundred percent. And if they, I mean, I, yeah, they're, I think they're better positioned, even though they don't have a Kevin Durant on their roster right now. I think they're better positioned moving forward too, just because I, I, I think it's a more attractive destination for players simply because of the history and the fandom and the marketing power. And I think that's the biggest sleeping giant professional sports. It's just a matter of time. Okay, Doug, I'm a little leery for this next thing. Well, what do you, what do you want to do? Let's talk pro bowl or you want to talk Grammys? Mm, 
we are 11 minutes in. We can, we can go to the Pro Bowl. I mean, the Grammy's the bottom line. I'll, I'll run through that real quick. Uh, Beyonce set the record for most Grammys won by an artist. Also, the Beehive thought she was <laughs> robbed of best album to Harry Styles. And that's a story that I found interesting because Harry Styles, when his album came out, um, that album definitely kind of shook the earth to its core in the sense of like everyone was listening to it. And I don't know that Beyonce's album was as well received, but the Beehive is such a passionate fan base. And this is a fandom podcast that as soon as Harry Styles won, uh, outrage all over the internet, people in the building, you saw reactions. And so I found that interesting, the, the Harry Styles fandom versus the Beyonce fandom. A lot of criticism of Harry Styles for saying guys like me don't usually win these kinds of things or something along those lines. Um, and so there was there was kind of a political undertone to the reception of some of the awards last night, as well as the reception to some of the performances. I, I mentioned uh, before the podcast that I saw people accusing Sam Smith's performance of being a satanic or Satan worship. And so fandoms, uh, whether political or of a entity in entertainment, uh, they have that same passion and that same level of bias that sports fandoms have. And so it, it is quite interesting to watch. Well, and I'll, I'll throw in my two cents. And I didn't watch a minute of the Grammys. I've watched, you know what? I, I, watch, I feel like I'm watching this stuff via Twitter at this point, right? You know, it's like, yeah. it, it's this kind of this strange thing where people are essentially curating the key moments via, and then it goes, and then it goes viral on Twitter and, and you end up being, seeing that stuff. Um, I came away thinking, God, this programming is not for me. Um, this is, you know, and I, and I went in and I looked up the, the viewership from the Grammys last year and last year was about 8.8 million people. So again, about the same as a decent, let's say NBA playoff game. Right. Yeah. And so this is. So if I so if I have the feeling, you know, and there and again, you 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 make the point that every look, everything is political and everything is painfully political, right? Because because now gender and race are completely correlated with politics. And so it's it's a help it's a hopeless situation. But I you know, I, I watch some of this stuff, I see some of the clips, I'm like, you know, I've made the point about fandom and uh, f- this idea that fragmentation is occurring, that there is no mass market. That's what I came across from from the highlights I saw of wow, they are not even making a they're not making the slightest effort to appeal to the suburban moms to put the, the suburban soccer moms to watch this or 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 the older dudes, right? It's just this they're programming for themselves. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it feels like it is geared toward the actual artists and celebrities and wealthy people that are in the building. And so let me me even throw one thing, because you you live in this world much more. It feels like it's a marketing campaign as well that, hey, their biggest brands are Beyonce, Taylor, Harry. And so we're going to give them a little award to, you know, we're going to promote our stars which which is dangerous in an award show because it starts to make you feel like well this is just all manufactured you know i you know you almost imagine there's these some really talented underknown people out there that really deserve awards it's like nope one big name now the next big name yeah. et cetera et cetera yeah it's i think the criticism of award shows like the grammys like the oscars like the emmys is that it's a popularity contest i don't 
personally know how they're decided and voted and, and how the voting committees are put together. I, I haven't done my research on that specifically, but I do know that there are artists last night on Twitter, on Instagram, expressing their displeasure and the entire thing musical artists and years back it was uh or maybe even last year i don't remember it was the weekend and his producer elangelo weren't even nominated for best album and i think they probably had the most influential album on the culture that year and, and people just you know assuming looking at those situations saying this is all political it's you know who's <laughs> who's getting the most money behind them uh, yeah, and who, who's going to bring the most viewership, all those types of things. And so I think those are the criticisms of those types of shows. And, um, you know, I think a lot of a lot of television, I think people watch sports that way. I think there's people that watch uh, Alabama beat Mississippi State in a tight game. And there's a controversial call who feel like, well, they need Bama in the playoff. The SEC wants Bama in the playoff. And so they're 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 moving their star forward. They're one who's going to bring the ratings. I, Doug, I feel like you're taking a shot at me there because I went on this podcast and basically accused the Big Ten of a conspiracy to allow Michigan to stay undefeated uh, against my fighting Illini. Well, I, I, you know, maybe it's true, but maybe it's true with the Grammys too. Like who? Yeah, there we go. Uh, he's he's flexing his shirt for those of you listening and not watching, but uh, his Illini shirt. But yeah, so I, I think there's that same, I just see the same fandom tendencies um, across the board. And that was my main takeaway at the Grammys last night, uh, well, as well as that same political uh, throw- lens that everyone seems to to view everything through. When you when you start to do that, when it all starts to be, you know, there's this famous, and we'll, you know, this is kind of important. We'll, you can't let your marketing show, right? If yeah. you let marketing show, then it doesn't feel authentic. And and I think that, you know, you, you and there's a lot of reasons why the viewership of the Grammys continually ticks down, right? Um, but you know, you got Beyonce on your show, and you got Taylor Swift on your show, and you got 8.8 million people watching. Mm-hmm. You know, that's. That should be, you got to do something, you got to do something different. Yeah. And and speaking of doing something different, uh, the NFL (laughs) decided with the Pro Bowl to take a very different approach this year. There were pros and cons, in my opinion. I think the biggest pro to me in the Pro Bowl was the NFL recognizing the power of the Manning brothers, the universal likability of the Manning brothers who we've discussed about week in and week out and leveraging that toward drawing eyeballs and drawing audiences and engaging people with the Pro Bowl, which largely a lot of people aren't that engaged with. And from watching the events that I watched, I can see why. One of the biggest issues I had with this year's Pro Bowl, when I, like when I was watching the quote-unquote skills competitions, you had quarterbacks, it's supposed to be the top quarterbacks in the league. Some of the guys out there, Geno Smith, Tyler Huntley, uh, you know, Joe Burrow's not there, Josh Allen's not there. I'm like, where are the stars? Where, you know, this this could be a completely different product if the stars were there. And I've always felt like that with the like NBA dunk contests, for example, when it's Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine, who have become stars in their own right as dunkers. But how much more engaged would the universal audience be had it been LeBron James and Steph Curry involved in these wow. things? And so looking and, at the NFL. And let's let's be real. You know, you go back to when the NBA first started taking over the culture and those dunk co- contests. Larry Bird was in the three-point shootout. And Michael Jordan, Jordan the dunk yeah. contest with Dominique Wilkins. Yeah, yeah. And so that's changed. Um, and, and 
I don't know specific. I guess injury with why Burrow and Josh Allen, and of course, the biggest issue with the Pro Bowl is that it's the week before the Super Bowl. So the biggest stars who are having the biggest seasons on the most successful teams are not involved. And and the other issue is that it's we've talked a lot about how this is such a quarterback driven league from a marketing perspective, especially those are the names that people know. Those are the faces that people recognize. And a large portion of the events are not around quarterbacks. And then the ones that are this year just so happened to not really be top quarterbacks. It was kind of mid tier guys for the, you know, Derek Carr. Like I said, Tyler Huntley, who's a backup uh, to Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's not there. And so uh, having the Manning brothers, I felt like the Mannings carried it from a personality standpoint. I feel like those were the faces people recognize. Those were the the moments that tended to go viral on Twitter. Like you said, a lot of people are consuming these types of events now, through social media. For, let's stay there for a second because that's sort of unique yeah. to the NFL, right? The NFL is, you know, the NBA seems like, I mean, they, they seem to do this every year now, right? Their all-star game is built around LeBron and some guy, right? Uh, LeBron you know, and Giannis. Or yeah. LeBron and um, uh, Nets guy. <laughs> What's the yeah, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, right. So th- th- they build that around here. I-, I can't think of an occasion where the NFL, like as you're talking about them almost building this around the Manning brothers, that's very different for that league. Very different. Very different. And like I said, I think it was smart on their part, partially because of the fact that, you know, if Burroughs there and if Josh Allen's there, or if Burroughs there and Patrick Mahomes is there, like you build it around those guys. But when you're top quarterbacks, I don't think I, I mean, I, I don't I'm trying to think of the top quarterback that I saw. And it, it might have been like a number seven type maybe seven to 15 range in the NFL. So they didn't have those top brands. It's like if the NBA's biggest star of All-Star Weekend was Jimmy Butler or Paul George at this stage in their careers where it's like, how are we going to build this, you know, engaged audience around these guys when you don't have LeBron out there? And so I thought they did the best they could with that stuff. Same with like, you know, I've been talking forever about they need to have a catch competition, much like the dunk contest. And I'll say this, you know, there were some spectacular catches, but Amon Ross St. Brown and Diggs were the receivers in that. And of all the big stars in the league at wide receiver, um, probably not the two names. Not to say they're not incredible athletes and in, in main incredible catchers, but if nothing else, you only had two guys competing. And so, and, and then some of those competitions where they're doing like water balloon toss or whatever, you've got all these offensive linemen and defensive ends and these guys who are great athletes. And for me, it was kind of cool to see them compete in athletic contests that you know to see like wow these guys really are athletes they're not just big guys and but these aren't brands that consumers generally know like if it were joe burrow doing that same golf contest on the driving range or or throwing the water balloon or whatever and so i think that was the challenge for the nfl this year and like i said i thought that bringing the mannings into the mix was certainly a smart move i mean let me ask you this i mean you know the pro bowl has always been this you know, we probably have to adopt a, an historical perspective on this, right? So the baseball had their mid-season classic, right? The the, the all-star yes. game. That was when baseball was the only game in town. So it was sort of the, the stars of the sports world, of the American sports world coming together. And so the NFL probably feels the need to follow suit, right? So we got to have an all-star game because we got to give awards to these players because we have to create this star system. The NFL does well 
based on the spectacle. Mm-hmm. And so is there actually even a place for, you know, it's from listening to you. And I, again, I sort of watched this event via Twitter. This strike me as almost more like an amusing diversion. Yeah. Not a spectacle, not creating stars. And so what, what is the answer for the NFL? I mean, th- this sounds like, it sounds like filler. And, and the reality is, look, Doug, the NFL is able to take a, essentially a calisthenics exercise in terms of people going to Indianapolis and running 40-yard dashes and cone drills and bench pressing reps and turn that into something that captivates America. But this, you know, maybe maybe it's a step in the right direction from, you know, the the the, the pro goal game out in you know Honolulu where I think it used to be, mm. but compelling or just sort of an afterthought. Yeah, I certainly think it's an afterthought, and I think I I don't know if the NFL had a lot of hope. I think they were playing from a, from behind, and in the sense that. It's hard to have moments with stars involved when your stars aren't there. Uh, and so you're going to make a star out of Derek Carr or out of Geno Smith or Tyler Huntley it's not at, the, at a flag football game yeah. or at a, a throwing contest. Trevor Lawrence, um, a guy who, who that's where you could build, you know, where there's the potential to, okay, we can start building this guy into a star because he has that ceiling. But right. with, the, with the Derek Carrs and Geno Smith, these kind of, journeyman quarterbacks um I, I don't know that they had much to work with but g- getting back to the mannings i i have i have a question mike is eli manning a bigger star as a retired football player than he was as a player it seems to me like this guy was the butt of a lot of jokes when he played he won two super bowls uh there's still people who would discredit that due to the fact that he, he played on good teams or with good defenses or whatnot and and really lucky teams at that um he like self-proclaimed himself as the greatest coach of all the mannings after beating Peyton, Peyton um down over the weekend in various events Peyton had an absolute temper tantrum on the field toward the end of the flag football game. Uh, Peyton versus Eli certainly was the storyline that the commentators were sort of holding on to. And, you know, seeing Eli Manning at the Super Bowl years back when he's not even in the game uh, with the best ad in the uh, with the best commercial with Odell Beckham Jr. uh, reenacting Dirty Dancing, one of my favorite Super Bowl commercials of all time. So. Uh, and then, of course, Monday Night Football, the Manning cast, Eli Manning has kind of emerged as a star post-playing career. Really an interesting situation because he was not a media guy during his he, – he was not doing commercials or he wasn't particularly liked. Um, and, and all of a sudden, he's like the face of the NFL. Doug, do you remember – And because I'm – you know, because I, I think this goes back about 15 years when these first really hit – yeah, he Peyton Manning ads with um, Brad Paisley. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Want to go on tour and <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the number of it's it's almost like a one of these like generational things, you know, that that really caught on. Of you know, every like almost every dude in America has sang that little song of epic comeback starts right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, Peyton always had that kind of kind of always had that glow, even going back to like Tennessee and, you know, as this guy. And I'm old enough to remember that uh, there was a moment in the SEC where Rex Grossman was a better quarterback prospect than Eli Manning. 
right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, as strange as that as that sounds. So Eli always had this kind of strange relationship with the media, and, and I think we're always supposed to think, well, if you're in New York, you're gonna be the media darling. I think being in New being in New York may have actually kind of hurt Eli in terms mm-hmm. of that media glow. But I, I'm with you. We're seeing something very interesting happening with the Manning cast, the number of uh, Payton and Eli adver- advertisements that we now see their partnership with uh, mm-hmm. Pepsi and Lay's, mm-hmm. um, essentially being the the team captains or the coaches for the Pro Bowl. Um, I, you look, I think I've said it out. I've said it. We've we've talked some about that. Joe Burrow might be seems like he could be the next sports magic, sports marketing. Yeah. Magic. I think we're wrong. I think we we kind of overlooked these guys because they were retired. This kind of brother tandem. I don't yeah. see any, I don't think I see anything stopping them. And yeah, and it, it's just fascinating to me because Peyton was always a media darling. He was always in the commercials for Campbell Soup or whatever it was. He was hilarious. Everyone he was on SNL. Everyone always loved Peyton. Eli always seemed kind of shy, kind of uh, down on himself when he's performing, not at a high level not as well-spoken, not as charismatic. And you would hear some of the Giants, because I follow the Giants, you'd hear some of the Giants players say, Eli's the funniest guy on the team. He's a prankster. He's always doing pranks. He's always... So it's like, apparently, uh, but behind that shell, there was this charisma that the world did not see from Eli Manning until he had won a Super Bowl. And I'll, I'll tell one more Eli Manning thing. I saw something this week about, this is the legend of Eli Manning where it's starting to grow. The, you know, it's a legend when nobody has any idea if it's true. There's a story going around that Eli Manning gave Tom Brady some like colored pencil drawings that he had drawn of like, I think it was of a bird or something after the Super Bowl when the Giants beat the Patriots. And this is all over social media. Um, and Tom Brady didn't take the joke very well because um, he was upset about the game. And then he said that Eli texts him. This is in the according to to legend that Eli texts him a couple hours after the game and said, "I changed my mind. I want my bird drawings back." Um, and then he said, and then in the the meme that's going around, it says two years later, three years later, when they played in the Super Bowl again, Giants beat the Patriots, and Eli shook Tom Brady's hand significantly harder than Tom Brady thought he was capable of. Set and he said, "That's what." That's what you get for not giving my bird drawing back, and that's that's the story. Uh, do, is there any truth to it? I seriously doubt it, but it's all over the internet. And it's like people are just running with Eli, kind of being this weird, but weird guy who doesn't take himself seriously, but is actually capable of beating Tom Brady in a Super Bowl, and and he's definitely able to make fun of himself a little bit. And so he his emergence as a media star has been really fascinating to me, particularly that, I mean, it feels like this season has been the year where Eli went from Peyton's little brother to an equal with Peyton in the media landscape uh, way after his playing career, simply because of commercials and in the Manning cast. Yeah. And I think you got to look at it. The Manning seems smart. They really do. Right. I mean, you know, it's hard to gauge you know, business acumen, but from everything they've done and even the fact that they're kind of combining uh, to do some of these things, that's probably the next sports brand to really, I mean, like it's obviously enormous already, but the potential they could have is just through the roof. Um, 
you know, cause, cause what can't those guys um, endorse? It, I mean, you know, as, as the media environment becomes more fragmented and more distributed, there's no reason to think they can't. And look, they probably already have a massive podcast. And if they don't, I'm sure they can. So mm-hmm. massive social media tie into, um, t- tie into the, the Manning cast in terms of the broadcast of the football. A- well, and they both have, uh, the Peyton's places and Eli's places on ESPN plus. So they have their own programming. They've had their, uh, detail like film breakdowns on ESPN plus so that they've got all kinds of media going on and, just maybe, you know, I think that a lot of people thought LeBron James would be the media darling of that generation. And it's like somehow Eli Manning and Peyton Manning have become let's in every and every commercial like Jordan was yeah. right. Like, Jordan, yeah. like watching some of these Jordan commercials and it's like LeBron hasn't gotten that treatment. Likeability, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and again, it's it's like people want to overly complicate this and bring other stuff into it. Michael Jordan, especially when he was a younger player, that smile, completely likable, right? The Mannings, likable, self-effacing. You know, <laughs> you know, I think I, that there's this like every man character yeah. that they both kind of play, especially Eli. Everyone views Eli as like, you know, the number of times someone's told me I look or sound or act like Eli Manning. Uh, and I've, t- I've talked about that before on the show, but he has this every, it's like, he's just a regular guy. He's not like this big, but which isn't true, by the way, I've been in the same room as Eli Manning before. And the guy is absolutely massive. And he looks, he strikes you as this guy is a serious athlete when you just looking at his physique and you don't like television somehow doesn't convey that. And so he has this every man kind of thing. And it's a lot of it has to do with how he carries himself, his, uh, his demeanor, his mannerisms, and it makes him relatable to so many people. And then he's likable, and then he's been successful, and now he's just having a good time. And I think everybody enjoys it. Okay, Doug, on the video element this week, can you effort to put together something that has a picture of Eli Manning on your half of the page and Bruce Willis on my half? <laughs> we can do a deep fake in the entire the entire podcast. I can be Eli, and you can be Bruce Willis, or or Mister Clean, whichever you decide. Uh, you know, I, I you know, Mister Mister. Uh, this is a, hey, this is a deep I, subject. Mr. Clean has uh, white eyebrows, so okay. Uh, I got the Eli jersey on today though, because it's Super Bowl week, and that's my my favorite Super Bowl memories are okay. Eli so Manning. we're talking about the Mannings and the great work that they do in commercials. One of the big stories of every Super Bowl is you know, like I, I said at the very beginning, it's almost like this has become a marketing holiday. So yeah. it, it evolved over time to be the most watched television program in America. It still is usually about a hundred million people, 110 million in good years, you know, 95 million in, in slightly off years. So it's the one time where everyone's watching. And so advertisers have noticed this and they've always come together and put their, you know, I was going to say put their best stuff forward. I don't know that that's actually, you know, it best is such a debatable term. They've tried to make an impact here. And, you know, for a while, especially around, you know, when around the year 2000, I think it really became almost a thing where a bunch of people would say, well, I'm not really interested in the game, but I want to see the ads. Yep. So it starts to take on a life of its own and you would see these and you still see some of this stuff, this retrospective of who won the Super Bowl advertising war mm-hmm. the, the following day. So we wanted to take a little bit of a look at some historical Super Bowl ads. Um, and even I'll even we can even mention a couple of the 
more anticipated ads. Now I'll say this right off the bat. The <coughs> excuse me, the price for this year has I'll give you the price for the 30 second ad, 2019, 5.2 million. 2020, 5.6 million. 2021, 5.6 million. 2022, 6.5 million. 2023, 7 million. So these price increases are actually kind of, you know, astronomical in terms of being beyond how the economy isn't growing or where, where inflation's right. at for a product that is not reaching more people over time. Um, so it's, it's a curious situation. Yeah, maybe that's why all the crypto companies went bankrupt last year, because last year was the the crypto bull as far as advertisements. It seemed like Crypto.com, FTX, like yeah. all those big companies uh, had half of the advertisements and they all, they all went bankrupt later in the year or, or the large majority of them went bankrupt later in the year, of course, due to uh, the economy and the market for that. But um, yeah, it is kind of precarious that the price is going up. I mean, I don't know what it would be adjusted for inflation because... But nevertheless, uh, sky yeah. high, never been higher prices for something that I would imagine less people are watching in real time. Yeah. That, does that sound right? No, I think that's true. I mean, I think it's, yeah. you know, Super Bowl viewership peaked a few years ago, but, you know, probably peaked at about 115 million viewers. And we've been, yeah. you know, so we're down about 10%. It's still the... You know, it is still by far the most watched TV program, live TV programming. So it is your, so it's a, it's a little bit of a strange situation, right? Where you could justify that the prices going, go up, even though the audience is flat or maybe shrinking slightly because everything else is falling off a cliff even faster. Right. And so it's, it will always be this. Well, and I think we also have to be honest, it's like this kind of strange cultural moment where there is always this hope that the ad not only, the, the ad not only, let, well, and you know, maybe we should almost say something. It's like, what, what is the purpose to advertising? And yeah. do you ever take an advertising class at uh, oh, University yeah. of Georgia? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I worked at an ad agency, Mike, Okay, for, oh, a hot second. <laughs> okay, and so, you know, people will talk, give you their theories about what advertising is supposed to do. The truth is, advertising, you know, the goals are kind of simple. Maybe you want to build awareness. You want people to see your stuff. Maybe you want to communicate a product benefit. You want to get people hyped up to see a movie, right? I mean, you know, academics can tend to complicate this stuff. But mm -hmm. Super Bowl advertising is a little bit different because beyond kind of those basic objectives, there's also this thing of we're going to get people talking. Right. Yeah. We're going to actually have this impact on the culture and we're going to get people to, you know, it's going to, we're going to spend $7 million. Sure. But we're going to get all this fleet, this free publicity in the lead up to the Super Bowl and in the carryover after it. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm curious, Mike, to know. I, part of me wants to know what are some of your favorite Super Bowl ads, but I also want to know which ones come to mind when you think of ads that were probably not a good investment for the advertiser for the company well you know as we were talking about putting this episode together and what i what i did was i went out and sort of looked at and, and doug's gonna put in the video element on youtube and instagram we're gonna show some of the the video from from some of these more prominent ads but doug i'll be honest with you i found myself kind of going you know i mean you can find some bad ads like there was a 
I think there was an oat milk or a cashew milk ad. Oh, it was oat milk. Oat milk. That everyone was like, well, what was the point to that kind of thing? And sometimes I wonder if they intentionally make it bad to get us talking because it's like, well, we wouldn't have talked about that otherwise if I haven't been so spectacularly bad. (laughs) But we don't remember the brand and we don't remember. Yeah, that's so fair. But, But what I found myself thinking is it's like, as you look through Super Bowl advertising, it's almost like a history lesson for where America has been and how it's changed over time. Absolutely. Um, you know, like a lot of the a lot of the ads on the, that end up on the worst ad list are from GoDaddy. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, and I mean, you remember the GoDaddy stuff, right? Really, yeah, for the fifteen years ago, I think. Yeah. So. My side of that is I used to, for my birthday every year, I'd have a Super Bowl party. That was my thing we would host. So you you imagine since I was seven years old, having 30 little boys and then 30, you know, 14 year olds and 16 year olds and stuff. And GoDaddy was always the one where the parents would, would come in and, and try to turn the TV off or something. And I'm not going to lie, Mike. I don't know that any of those GoDaddy commercials specify exactly what GoDaddy's service is or what their product is. I thought it was a different type of website based on <laughs> their advertising. And I that that's my that's my takeaway on GoDaddy. When I don't know if that's what they wanted or not, but they certainly presented themselves in a way that um would lead you to think that they were promoting something other than their product. Well, and and they were clearly out there for shock value, right? And so I, I yeah. on the list, one was, you know, one was one of their many, and it doesn't even matter which one we pull. It, it for a while it was like GoDaddy and Danica Patrick. Yeah, right? there was one of her in the shower. It was always kind of like a strip tease. Yeah, it was always uh, essentially straight out sex appeal of Danica Patrick. Yeah, and and then following that, it was kind of Dana. Danica Patrick in sort of weird situations with, you know, what was her name? Bar Raffaele, or there's know. one called Lola. It was just, okay, we've, we've sexed up Danica Patrick and now we're going to do different things as a playoff on that. The other one that, you know, GoDaddy really gets hammered for was something called the Lost Puppy ad. Where they, was that GoDaddy? I didn't realize that was GoDaddy. Well, there are two. There are two sort of lost dog ads. There's an Anheuser-Busch ad where a dog finds its way home. Yeah. And everyone's happy to see the dog. And then there's a GoDaddy ad where the dog finds its way home. And the breeder literally says to the dog, oh, we're so glad you made it home because I just sold you. And they throw the <laughs> dog being shipped out. See, I like that one. <laughs> that's, that's the one GoDaddy ad I like. But, uh, and- just simply because it played on everyone's expectations. And it's kind of that dark humor that is going to offend a segment of people and it's going to make a lot of people laugh. But you know what, what's funny? Cause you brought it up and I hadn't thought about it in a long time. Even the name of the company was basically just sort of the idea of let's, let's get people talking. Let's be, let's be semi scandalous. Right. I yeah. mean, an internet hosting and domain registry service called GoDaddy. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the, the branding was all a hundred percent out in terms of we're going to be controversial. We're going to get people to, to pay attention to us via sex, um, mistreating, uh, lost dogs. You know, they really were willing to do anything. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it, I have to wonder, like, it must be successful to some degree as far as their metrics, because they keep doing it or they did keep, I don't know if they run ads anymore, but for the longest time that was, you knew you were going to get a Doritos ad and you knew you were going to get a Bud Budweiser ad and you knew you were going to get 
a GoDaddy.com ad. Uh, so I, I guess they had some success by their own metrics and managed to get people talking, managed to get us talking about this on the podcast. I will, I'll say is this, like, I would imagine, I know that a lot of their campaigns would kind of end with a go to GoDaddy.com to see the rest. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine what was on their website, but I never heard of anything uh, super terrible and so i don't know it seemed like they might have had some false advertising <laughs> there on their commercials with danica patrick and company um so just uh, i don't know if that upset people or if they got on there and were like oh i want to start a website um this is actually exactly what i wanted even though it's not what i was looking for so thank you GoDaddy, for helping me find my what i didn't know i needed and, and i can all say that you know, there's there's almost a historical perspective of for like older people in terms of where the GoDaddy stuff was coming from. I mean, uh, like through the '90s, you know, anyone of a certain age saw endless advertisements for like these videotapes that they would sell at night called "Girls Gone Wild," right? And GoDaddy always had that kind of that kind of uh, almost like softcore porn to it. You yeah, know, yeah. I don't know that it's. I don't know. I don't know that that's. Uh, I, it's certainly not the way Chick-fil-A has earned their okay. reputation across America. But as, like I said, apparently it's worked to some degree because they keep doing it. And it's hard to imagine spending the kind of money it costs to buy a 30 second ad to do something that already failed several times before. And like I said, I think this is why it feels like very much kind of almost, a, you know, and, and it's like a, it's for this kind of conversation, it's hard to figure out where to start and where to stop because GoDaddy really feels like a cultural moment in, you know, about the year, you know, 2005 through 2010, whenever, whenever they were really kind of hitting their peak. But so much of it is kind of like the, almost this like shock jock mentality, right? Where it's like almost Howard Stern, like, right? It's, so it's, it's kind of an echo of where society had been. Now you play like a GoDaddy ad and, you know, you don't even think the networks are going to, are going to accept it. The other ad that I want to highlight in terms of this list was something that truly encapsulates how society has changed and how something that might have been acceptable in a joke does not work at all. And that's the Bob Johnson Holiday Inn ad. I knew exactly where you were going with that. <laughs> well, and the plot of this ad was Holiday Inn had just put a bunch of money into making over their hotels, their lobbies, and their rooms. And so as an example of someone else putting a lot of money into making themselves over, it's it's set as a high school reunion and Bob Johnson has become is transgender and has transitioned into being a glamorous woman. And Bob is talking to one of his classmates who's trying to recognize him and slowly comes up with Bob. And just the idea of doing something like that in 2023 you know, completely, completely unworkable. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think it really worked for um, Holiday Inn at the time, right? And again, this kind of gets to the notion of what is the purpose of advertising? It's a community, sometimes it's to communicate a benefit, but this was clearly trying to sort of make a joke, kind of a shocking joke with the, the communicating the benefit being a really small part of it. And so sometimes, you know, it, it just, it didn't work at the time. And now it feels like a hate crime. Yeah. And now it's like, if you do an ad like that, your product's going to get pulled off of every shelf. They're not going to air stuff like that, though. I I mean, I would imagine there's some sort of 
control over that so that you can only be so offensive but i wonder how much future proofing you have to do when you're considering because humor changes too right and, and it's like is I this gonna i don't think it was really viewed as offensive at the time i think it was kind of viewed as like going for a little shock value yeah yeah and I, and that's what i mean by like future proofing now where they have to look back and say okay at the time that wasn't offensive but now it is is the joke we're making today gonna get us canceled four years from now when people see that on youtube because it's once it's out there it's out there it's not just airing one time on tv like they probably get a lot more views on social media and on youtube than from the actual game and these lists that accumulate over years so i have to wonder how much forethought goes into that and uh on the to take it to an extreme, I wonder how much pandering we'll see from ads this year that are really doing everything they can to not get their brand into trouble, whether now or in the future. Well, talking about that in terms of how things can change, you know, one of the other, one of the, in, some of the ads that end up being typically on folks' list of the best ads. Yeah. One of the ones that is viewed as truly iconic is the Cindy Crawford Pepsi ad from the <laughs> early 90s. And, so iconic that essentially they did a tribute to it by having Cindy come back. And I want to say it was like 2017 or 2018 and basically reprised the role. And so the, mm -hmm. the original ad is basically Cindy Crawford, who at that point is at the height of her fame. She's one of the original, she's one of the original models that got the supermodel tag mm -hmm. that was sort of in that category there had been supermodel before but she was officially labeled a supermodel um i think she had some shows on places like mtv so mm -hmm. she was a ma again a major cultural icon and the the pepsi ad from the early 90s is just straight out sex appeal um it's cindy drinking an ice cold pups it's also a little strange with a couple of younger boys watching I was going to say that the fact that it's little boys in that ad, I don't know that that would work now. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like that's a strange choice, but it, it certainly had an innocence in the sense of it kind of had that little rascals feel to it where it's, it's just little boys for the first time realizing that, you know, women are attractive to them. But, uh, but like I said, I, the age difference between her and the kids and, and nowadays with especially like in Hollywood the kinds of scandals that have happened over the last how many years or that have you know received publicity where that kind of thing could backfire real easily and it's another one where it's like I don't know I don't, I, did they do in the second one did they use little kids again because I don't know that I remember the second one I don't recall this I, I don't recall but it's yeah it, and again you know at the time and again sort of this this looking at like how cultural has changed at the time. I think you look at those boys and it's kind of, the, it's, it's sort of an innocent thing of, right. Yeah. Right. They're starting to, to look at, you know, attractive women, but yeah, yeah, it doesn't seem like that would work, that that would work at all. And I, well, and, and, the, 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 rev, the revision of the ad probably cleaned up some of that stuff. Well, it's also like you reverse the roles as far as gender and it all of a sudden it becomes a major issue. Yeah. And so it's like, if it doesn't work one way, like it, they probably wouldn't do it the other way. Just cause like, like I said, it's your one big story. One big story comes out this week or one big scandal happens. And everyone who sees that ad is looking at it through a completely different lens and is completely horrified by it or completely uh, offended. And so that that's the challenge. And I, re I remember like a couple years back, they pulled an ad 
that had a helicopter in it because it was like a couple weeks after the Kobe Bryant tragedy. And so that's, that is like a really extreme case of what I'm talking about. But these things, the way that they're digested by audiences can change so fast, um, particularly in our culture where it seems like the rules are, of what's acceptable and what's not are changing at such a rapid pace. Well, and I think this is, this is a valuable discussion. But, the, you know, the interesting sort of story, you know, sort of background on all this is you can almost make an argument that's really only the last five years where something like, you know, something that the lens has changed so dramatically. I mean, it clearly has. But, you know, watching some of these ads in the earlier time periods, watching that Cindy Crawford ad in the early 90s, no one even blinked, right? No one even thought about it. So it's kind no. of it's an inter- it's an interesting thing to watch. Other ads in this, um, and I'll, I'll I'll get to the 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 one that gets kind of the credit for kind of being the game changer last. And again, I think this was an early '90s ad or late '80s ad. Jordan and Bird for McDonald's. Yes. What do you? I mean, so this is before your time. But the, basically, the way the ad works is uh, Bird is shooting around. Michael Jordan comes in with a Big Mac from McDonald's, uh, and basically, there's a competition on of like, I'll sh- let's play essentially a game of horse for it. Beautiful ad, completely holds up, almost like the blueprint for where a lot of this kind of celebrity-based advertising went. Two iconic athletes, perfect ad. Yeah, and I don't know why they haven't done that with Stephen Curry and Damian Lillard or, or someone else uh, who's kind of thought of as that deep three ball guy. But the only thing that could have made it better to me was the, the production quality as far as those guys can make. If you got them in the gym for a day, you could get some pretty spectacular actual shots of them making incredible shots, uh, dude perfect type stuff. And all of it, which it would be one shot of them shooting and then another separate, very obviously separate shot of the ball going in to the goal. And I don't remember if it was for a like Adidas or Nike thing where there was a video of LeBron James that went viral a couple years ago of him throwing full court passes or full court shots. And it looks like he's sinking them all on camera. And of course, it was edited. Uh, but that the viral potential of those types of videos, because there becomes a debate as to whether they're real or fake. And and then they I mean, they having a brand tied to those I think is really smart and so I feel like there's a lot of potential in basketball with that kind of like trick shot thing that I'm surprised hasn't been leveraged with the number of prominent basketball players that are the faces of major brands but nevertheless of course an iconic commercial and ironically uh, two super athletes guys who take care of their bodies at at the highest level promoting (laughs) McDonald's in that one Um, okay as as their food of choice. So might yeah. not make the, uh, might not make the Tom Brady diet. I love that. I love that thought because I think there's a also, and again, we'll sort of hold off on that. We'll, we'll end with the ad that I think gets is yeah. the, the official game changer and all this stuff. Um, but there's definitely some irony in that too. Okay. So I'm looking at the clock, you know, we put a bunch of Budweiser stuff together, <sighs> you know, I mean, Budweiser, Everything from the frogs, you know, is the, yeah. the frog noises, um, the 2002 ad following 9-11, where it's essentially the most pro-American uh, ad with the Clydesdales of all time. Again, sort of beautifully done stuff, sort of the the stuff that I think has actually 
sort of reinforce this notion of Super Bowl advertising being something special where they're kind of inspirational movies. But the one I want to key on is just you know, Budweiser, one of the stupidest ads they ever did, which is a bunch of guys sort of sitting around, a phone call is made, and then suddenly they've got all of America coming up to each other going, what's up? What's up? Years. (laughs) Yeah, that one is like, I don't know how it got approved, like how they're like, this is going to work, I promise. Like, that was not a foolproof plan. That could have gone one or two ways. Um, And fortunately for them, it seems as though the majority of American consumers, particularly football fan types, thought it was awesome. And uh, what did, didn't it start with him asking? They're kind of on a phone call. It was like two guys on a phone call. And he's like, what's you up to? And he's like, having a bud, watching the yeah. game. And then they just start saying what's up over and over to all their buddies. And that, I mean, it's like some of these, some of these ads, you can tell it's like they spend millions and millions and millions of dollars it's like they they have a whole year's worth of work from like thousands of people, which is an exaggeration, but to put together one advertisement. And some of them are so stupid that you're just scratching your head and you're like, why would they? How is that what they came up with with all that money? And what's up? That ad, it's like one guy was probably had a few too many Budweiser's and he was like, oh, I have an idea. And it actually just worked. So <laughs> um, you, you never know. I don't know that the more money you spend, I'm not saying they didn't spend money on that ad. It's just, it's like, like you certainly could have done that on a low budget. And I don't know the more money you spend guarantees more success. Or sometimes the simple ads like that are, are what does, you know, what do the trick. Yeah. And I mean, and as strange as it sounds, might be the most, you know, the cultural impact of that is look, I mean, I'm, I guarantee you when that one came out, you were probably saying what's up to your friends in grade school, right? In grammar school. What's up? Yeah, I remember. And, you know, of course, it wasn't leading us to consume Budweiser. But um, the fact that they created, in a sense, like a mannerism that every time somebody said that, it brought to mind Bud, <laughs> Bud Light or Budweiser. And the only other ad I've seen do something like that was... Um, David Harbour in the Tide ads a couple of years ago. This is when I was working in advertising, so I was really paying close attention. But they had it start like a traditional beer commercial, um, and then it would end up being like, "Notice how everyone in the commercial shirts are clean. If it's you know if it's clean, it's a Tide ad." And then it made it. They hijacked it. They did several ads like that throughout the Super Bowl, but it made it so every time an ad started, you were wondering if it was a Tide ad or if it was going to turn into a Tide ad. And so it's like your attention was constantly on Tide for. 40 commercial slots when they only had four commercial slots and that that way they hijacked the super bowl i feel like what's up kind of hijacked people's day-to-day interactions saying what's up while they're you know calling up their buddy some legitimate creativity okay the the one i've been alluding to that i think always has to be mentioned in discussions of advertising and super bowl advertising is the apple 1984 ad and you go back and you watch this thing and it's you know, it's, it's, it's essentially set in this dystopian environment. Everything is kind of grayed out and you have a, a woman suddenly kind of enter and, you know, it's sort of... It's like a Hooters girl. It, it is strangely... She's dressed, she's sort of colorful in her, yeah. in her, in her uh, hair and clothing. Um, so, like, this visual pop and it's clearly that she's this disruptor or this innovator and it ends with her swinging almost like a hammer throw and track. Like a jackhammer, yeah. And shattering a screen with the idea being that, 
hey, you know, and it, it's, it's almost like relevant to like the NPC meme that people talk about right now that Apple is going to disrupt this kind of grade pedestrian, everyone's the same authoritarian future. Mm-hmm. Um, hilariously, though, and you, you mentioned sort of the <laughs> irony of all this. This is the company that basically is business model evolved to having a device that we all carry around with us that allows <laughs> to act constantly. Right? Well, and it's a bit of a, it's the same in the sense everyone kind of has the same phone, the same computer, the same. So <laughs> the, the comments on that ad are almost entirely making fun of the irony that the most dystopian thing to happen in our lifetimes was the rise of some of these devices and how integral they've become to day in day-to-day life for everyone and how there's the potential surveillance and the, the, the types of 1984 Orwellian themes can be associated with iPhones. And I know that Apple has made an effort to advertise their security and, and their focus on that or whatnot. But nevertheless, I think at this point, I don't know if they can redo an Orwellian ad without it being ironic like i feel like it would have to be intentionally ironic if they were to redo a 1984 ad i actually think that would be great but i don't know that that would be on brand for apple at this point okay and you know at the very beginning of this and i forget exactly where we're on it was sort of like this notion that the worst thing you can do in marketing is let your marketing show through and there's yeah. a famous ad probably a little bit before your time for sprite by a guy named grant hill and it was, you know, almost this kind of breaking the, what do they call that? Breaking the third wall or the fourth wall mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of him talking directly to the audience and saying, mm-hmm. you know, alluding that I'm actually selling a product to you, kind of wink, wink. And so, you know, and I think that's, you know, that there's sort of that playoff on, you know, gets them a little bit towards having some authenticity. And it's like Grant Hill was this, it was sort of very kind of attractive figure, sort of very well beloved uh, NBA player. But right now, I mean, I, I think that is potentially the the problem. When we look at Super Bowl advertising and what's coming, I've got a couple that I'll mention here. That some of the stuff that you mentioned, some of it looks like it's these massively uh, massive spend in terms of mm-hmm. like getting celebrities together. It yeah. feels very sort of forced, very kind of what well, we're trying to make controversy. And that's, I think, when you sort of back yourself into that position, it's like, that's where these things end up being a a disaster in terms of being very forgettable or being stuff that people sort of groan about. So I'll I'll give you, I'll give you two. So there's a Michelob ad. I don't know if it's Michelob Light or Michelob that basically takes on Caddyshack. Mm. except now they've got Serena Williams and Brian Cox. And so Serena Williams is essentially playing the Rodney Dangerfield character. You know, the, the person for, from the, you know, the, Brian Cox is playing the country club guy. Serena Williams is playing the person that's sort of disrupting the country club. And they, they even have the old Caddyshack guy, the, the kid that played the caddy in the original, he's coming back. And I think he's sort of in the background on some of it. And as I'm watching this, all I can think is this is the most formulaic thing of all time, right? You've taken this Caddyshack, this kind of iconic nostalgia effort, nostalgia effort, right? So you're using nostalgia to get everyone involved. Um, you're updating it for more 
diversity and inclusiveness in terms of the casting. You've even gone to the trouble of, again, like having the kid that played the original caddy. And I don't think it works at all. Obviously, you're spending a ton of money into it. But as I'm watching it, all I'm going is, okay, so they're trying to manipulate me by doing Caddyshack, but why is Serena Williams golfing? And it feels completely flat to me. Now, again, I will say this. Maybe as a marketing professor, I'm viewing this stuff too analytically, and maybe some of this stuff pops, but I don't know. Yeah, I I feel like a lot of the modern ones, they're really trying to gear toward like the TikTok crowd. Like they're very ADHD. There's a lot of stimulation coming at you from every side. And like maybe that works for a different demographic than the one I'm in or the one you're in. Uh, but it, it doesn't, that stuff feels cheap to me, even though it's expensive, if, if that makes sense. And I think that like a simple concept done well is what has been tried and true. Like I think of the Darth Vader Volkswagen kid yeah. who uses the force. Like that is a very simple concept. It was a very, you could have done that on a low budget if you wanted to, right? Just like what's up or some of these that we've talked about. And yet it sticks with you because it, it strikes a nerve and it, it, you know, it, it's one thing, it's very focused. And I think some of these ads now are so all over the place and it's like, oh, there's 14 different celebrity cameos in this one ad, but I don't remember what any of them said or did or who it was for. And it was just a lot of flashing lights and noise for 30 seconds. And what? so- and to me, absolutely. Look, I, I, as I was watching the Caddyshack thing, I just started playing like this little game in my head of, well, could I come up with an ad campaign? You know, and, and what I was, what I started putting around in my head was, well, let's take on a Godfather theme, and let's have Zendaya play. I think it's Michael Corleone, and she can kiss whatever you know, whatever sort of old fossil you can find from the Sopranos that's still around, and mm-hmm. you know that she broke his heart. Right. And so we'll, we'll update it in terms of the demographics and then, you know, maybe it's for beyond beyond burger and it's sort of something, you know, because he had used real meat in the hamburgers. Right. I mean, it, it, it's actually kind of trivial stuff to come up with in terms of the formula. Let's get some nostalgia. Let's get some celebrities. Let's tell kind of a, a an easy joke. Bingo, bango, yeah, it's move like, on. It's like Mad Libs and you can, it's like yeah. Mad Libs. You can drag and drop different celebrities, different intellectual properties that are beloved from the past and different products. And that, that's pretty much it for the majority. And, and Doug, it's almost worse than that because it's almost like celebrity over 50, right? <laughs> and then celebrity under 25, right? Just, <laughs> uh, and and movie, movie that appeals to, movie or song that appeals to Generation X. Okay. Um, the other one, and this one I think really deserves to get take a lot of abuse is that M&M's has a new has an ad that's going to come out. And basically M&M for those of you that haven't been following this is involved in some controversy because they've started to I don't know play with the gender of their candies and yeah. and then once they had gendered candies then they ran into complaints about the shoe and again I'm probably getting some of this wrong ran into complaints about some of the shoes that the candies were wearing. Yeah. Created a non-binary M&M and then was going to have a picture of the, uh, sorry, a package that just included the female and non-binary. They created, they created a problem for themselves. And so their ad is going to have Maya Rudolph. Right. 
and the proposal that they're going to change it from M&Ms to Ma's and Yas. Yeah, that's a pretty, I mean, my entire life, it's been those same M&M characters that are synonymous with the brand. So that's going to be a tough shift. <laughs> and uh, I remember Dos Equis Man going from one Dos Equis Man to another, and it didn't feel quite right. But for M&Ms to go from M&Ms to these new characters played by Maya Rudolph, and I don't know who else, um, certainly interesting, but kind of a classic tale of how they probably try, like Eminem probably tried a little bit hard, too hard to appeal to a younger audience or a modern audience in a way that offended probably an older audience and then probably over or, or overcorrected to some degree, uh, one way or the other and ended up being in a spot where it's like, you know, they'd just be better off if they just got Peyton and Eli. Let's be real. Like there's certain things that are just like, that's just going to work. And and I think they're kind of thinking that like okay let's just go with Maya Rudolph SNL if people like her she's you know she's not going to cause any problems for us well and I will say totally self inflicted wound right there yeah. was yeah no, we see that a lot no reason for any of it didn't really get them anywhere it's almost like they should go back and find whatever whatever Eminem ad they showed in the 1970s and sort of you know recast that reshoot it and just forget about it okay yeah. The, we're a little bit over time, but I know you wanted to make a Super Bowl prediction. Um, I don't even find myself able to make Super Bowl predictions. You know, I, I will watch this game with just an eye on, you know, Patrick Mahomes essentially taking the reins over from Tom Brady as he's moved off on his second retirement or Jalen Hurts sort of getting to that next level in terms of stardom of a guy that can actually win Super Bowls. Beyond that, so, you know, I'm very much storyline focused. What are you looking for in the game? I think the the perfect script would be, and there's been a lot of jokes about the NFL being scripted lately. I think the perfect script would be Mahomes and and him kind of taking the reins and being that guy. But I think that Jalen Hurts and the Eagles spoil that script. And I don't think the NFL's rigged. I'm not saying it'll be rigged if the Chiefs win. I simply think that the Eagles are a better football team and they're going to win on Sunday. And I, I've been wrong so many times. I've been right sometimes. So we'll see what happens. As far as ads... You know, I could make predictions. I'm sure they're all already on YouTube. I don't like to spoil it. I like to wait and watch them in real time during the Super Bowl. So we can talk those next week, perhaps. Um, but yeah, I like the Eagles on Sunday, and I expect a lot of things on fire and people celebrating in Philadelphia. Okay, Doug, one last question for you. You know, it's it's interesting. The Eagles actually always do pretty well in these these fandom rankings. They usually hover right outside the top five of you know the the Cowboys, the Cowboys, Steelers, Packers, Patriots. You know, the, they right end up being five or six. But I don't think. That that's what the numbers say, but I don't think people actually tend to put the Eagles into NFL royalty. Is this enough to legitimately start to move them to being one of those kind of elite franchises that has a nationwide fan base? I don't know why that is. I think it, there's there's kind of this like blue collar association with Eagles fans or the Philadelphia Eagles, where it's like I don't know what they can do to become a premier you know, to have the reputation of the Cowboys, even though they probably have more passionate fans than the Cowboys. And so I don't know that one Super Bowl is going to do it because, I mean, they've been in several Super Bowls in my lifetime, of course, winning uh, most recently with Nick Foles as QB1. And I think that, uh, I honestly think that having a dynasty 
it winning yeah. several would would go a long way for them. But I see Eagles fans everywhere I go, so it's not like it's not like they're hiding. Um, but that, they just don't have that reputation for whatever reason. You know, maybe the story is you got to win multiple Super Bowls, but you got to do it with a dynamic superstar quarterback. And Ron Jaworski they did it with Nick Foles. Yeah. Yeah, don't get you there. And I and, no, and I don't know if Jalen Hurts, he still has that kind of blue collar, like we talked about that last week, association with him, where it's like he's a lunch pail guy. He's a he just outworks the next guy, and he's just a leader. He's not he's nothing flashy. He's not Mahomes. He's not Josh Allen. So it you know he could he could change that if he makes some phenomenal plays to win a Super Bowl. I mean that this is where legends are made. But it's also like we've said all playoffs where people are, are quickly forgotten. And so, I mean, Nick Foles became a legend, but as a lunch pail guy, um, can Jalen Hurts become that flashy superstar? I don't know that that's his style, but we'll yeah. find out. Always a great, uh, you know, the key to the Super Bowl. Always a great line of narratives and always something special to watch. Okay, everyone. Thanks for listening. More content at www.fandomanalytics.com.